we've learned anything from these past couple of years, my fellow Americans, is that personal medical freedom and liberty are in crisis. America Out Loud Pulse brings together the top experts in healthcare-related fields to keep you a beat ahead. Welcome to America Out Loud Pulse. This is Dr. Peter Bregan. I'm here with Ginger Bregan, my wonderful wife and partner. And we have for our interviewee today, Leo Coleman. This is going to be a sterling show, folks, in that Leo is one of the few really independent analysts who really sees that globalism is the central issue of our time. First, a word about America Out Loud. We are a uh, radio show on um, the wonderful uh, format set up by Malcolm. And we are part of a five-day-a-week at 5 p.m. shows that have a medical orientation to them. On the other days, uh, one day is Peter McCullough and Malcolm. Another day is Harvey Reich. Another day is Marilyn Singleton. And another day are marvelous doctors Vaughn and Tankersley. So if you uh, really want to keep up with what's going on in the world, especially if it has anything remotely to do with health and medicine, this is the time to turn on. Um, I'm a bit hoarse today, folks. I can't even tell you why. Some of you, um, many of you know that I'm recovering from COVID. I had COVID pneumonia and uh, was hospitalized for five days and got released April 15th. I should be all better by now, I thought, but it's a slow go and Actually, our doctors think I'm doing faster than they thought. And with me is Ginger Bregan, who also had COVID, but she was so busy taking care of everybody else, uh, including her mother, three of us were ill, that um, she didn't uh, realize she was ill until a month or two later, I think, because she just put herself aside. But we are up and going, absolutely no doubt about that. And welcome, Leo, to the show. And thank you for the nice note you send us when you heard we were ill. Yeah, I'm I'm glad to hear that you're uh, on the mend and doing podcasts again. I was worried about you. Thank you, dear dear friend. Really, we barely know each other, but I just sense you're you're really a, a dear friend. And Leo has a book, Stealth Invasion. Would you like to talk a little bit about stealth invasion and your background? Yeah. And then let me just add, today we're going to do something special. We're going to try to look at what are the real big threats out there today. That's the show today, the big threats. And I, I look forward to being educated by Leo. Well, go ahead with your book and your own background a little further, if you like. Uh, yeah, I'm a journalist by trade, spent 28 years working at mainstream newspapers, uh, Dr. Bregan, in, uh, mostly in Georgia and uh, North Carolina, although I'm originally from Michigan and spent the first couple of years of my out uh, after I got out of college uh, working up there um, and uh, been independent for going on six years now. Uh, I did a stint with WND for about four and a half years, World Net Daily, where I covered immigration. And that was uh, how I got to write the book Stealth Invasion. That was after two and a half years of covering 
the uh, broken immigration system that we have here in the United States of America, not only with millions coming in every year. At the time the book came out, 2017, we were receiving one million illegal immigrants per year coming through the southern border. Now that's up to two to three million a year under Joe Biden. Uh, So it's only gotten worse. Uh, The book was a warning to America. America did not listen. Um, And now it was not just about America, however, it was about globalism and how it's affecting Western civilization in general, Um, that including Europe and what's going on there. Because at the time when I was writing about immigration in 2015, 2016, and 2017, you'll recall uh, a lot, uh, millions of migrants were flooding into Europe from mostly Muslim nations. They were coming up through Turkey. They were uh, uh, coming from North Africa across the sea into France. uh, And flooding in, they've been flooding into the UK for two or three decades now turning London and sections of London into uh, basically a Sharia-compliant Islamic nation within a nation. Uh, London even has a Muslim mayor now, Mr. Sadiq Khan. Um, And so we see this transformation of Western society, which is based on, has been based on Judeo-Christian values, uh, but the people have not been staying attached to their Judeo-Christian values. They've allowed the elites who run the education systems, the media systems, uh, the global corporations, they've allowed these elites to detach them from their their foundation. And when you lose your foundation of your culture and your society, uh, anything goes and you allow the elites to redefine what, what should be the values of society. And we've seen that now with this that with with three or four decades of a just intense culture war going on where they have literally declared war on everything uh, that's biblical in nature. You know, God, nation, family, it's all been under attack uh, with starting with abortion in the 1970s. I think when they opened that can of worms, it led to everything else, floodgates of 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 really demonism. Uh, when you throw out God, that creates a vacuum in that culture, and it doesn't remain vacant for long. Uh, the great father Malachi Martin wrote a book called The Windswept House in the uh, mid to late 90s. He died in 1999. He was a Jesuit priest who was a sort of a Vatican insider, but then became a whistleblower uh, and, and and wrote several best-selling books. One of them was Windswept House. When the demons are cast out, it leaves a vacuum. And when the demons return and find the house cleaned and put in order, they come back with seven times the number of demons. Oh, my. And that's what we're seeing going on in Western culture now, not just in the United States, but in Europe. We, uh, uh, the old order that uh, built upon that Judeo-Christian foundation has been eroding slowly and gradually for, three, as I said, three or four or five decades. But now that we're in the death throes of that culture, it's literally hanging by a thread. What happens? 
It becomes more intense, more violent. We had that so-called summer of love uh, three summers ago in 2020 uh, of the mostful, mostly peaceful protests where people were out in the streets literally burning cities down in whole sections of American cities. That's now happening in France. Uh, if if people look at some of the video coming out of France, it looks, if you weren't told, you would think it was Ukraine. Buildings on fire, vehicles on fire for as far as you can see in not just one city, but just about every major city across France. And it's in the seventh or eighth night tonight of these violent, violent uprisings. I, I hesitate to call them riots because riot gives you uh, uh, an impression uh, that it's something that could be put down by police. This doesn't seem, the police don't seem to be able to put this down. It's so widespread. And unlike the uh, summer of love here in the United States, where it was fueled by BLM and Antifa, this uprising in France, which, by the way, has spread to uh, Switzerland, uh, parts of Sweden, it's it's slowly spreading, but it's most intense in France. Uh, the police don't seem able to put it down. And now the military has come out and said to Macron, the, the president of France, if you don't deal with this, we will. Uh, and so we have the potential for the military involvement. And if that indeed is what it's going to take, then that is certainly no riot. That is a something more akin to a civil war. That's right. When you have to call out the military to put it down. Uh, and so I personally think that it's going to spread back here to the United States. I don't think we've seen the last of that. We, we got a taste of it in 2020. And I think when it comes back around again, it's going to be more intense. These are like birth pangs. OK, uh, when you get to uh, what we're seeing, it's like every time one of these incidents breaks out, they the, the incidents, number one, get closer together and they get more intense, like like birth pangs do before a woman gives birth to a child. And that's what we see happening. Uh, uh, you know, it was just three years ago. I think we're going to see it again. Civil, civil uh, instability, for lack of a better term, uh, which could bring us to the brink of something maybe closer to civil war, if not all out civil war. And that's what I think the elites want, because and why do they want it? Because they're getting ready. They call it a great reset. Now, before you can reset something, that means start all over and build something new, you have to burn down what's left of the old. And that is what we see going on today in France. Uh, we've gotten a taste of it here in the United States. I think round two is coming, if not this summer, maybe next summer. Uh, and it's going to be worse. It's going to be more intense. Leo, what do we know about the funding of these riots? these uh, riots or this insurrection? What do we know about the leadership of it? That's a great question. Uh, unlike the riots here in the United States from three, three years ago, that was more uh, of a domestic uprising. BLM, Antifa, these were Americans, right? Yeah, yeah but they were funded, weren't they, by yeah, Soros? But they were funded by outside sources. Right groups like George Soros and 
mega corporations were throwing money at them. Remember, yeah. oh, God, just yeah. about every major corporation was throwing money at BLM. Uh, these this uprising in France is is not uh, French people. It's driven by the immigrant population. And this, I guess, is where my book comes in, Stealth Invasion. I predicted this. Uh, they have no one to blame for this other than the French themselves, because they welcomed these these migrants with open arms and they uh, demonized anyone who raised concerns about it back in 2013, 14, 15. What are they what are they what are they demanding? The, what are their signs? Say? They want more. The, the the immigrant population in France, which is huge, uh, like 10 percent of France. Nine to 10 percent of France is Muslim by faith. Some sections of the big cities like Paris are 15 percent Muslim. Uh, overall city percentages of overall cities are 12 to 15 percent Muslim. Eight it's to 10 my, my impression that some of these sections of uh, that are a Muslim in uh, Europe are pretty much independent. Uh, the police don't even go into some of them. Is that true? That is true. They call them no-go zones where they're governed pretty much by Sharia law. They have their own legal system based on the Quran, uh, and the police pretty much leave them alone unless there's some major catastrophic uh, situation where they have to go in. Do you think these um, are primarily uh, Muslim driven? Uh, that Yes, that primarily. But now some of the uh, French white vigilantes are getting frustrated. and They're joining in to fight against the Muslim immigrants. And so <clears throat> it's very divisive. It is starting to look more like civil war than just a riot. But it started as Muslim riots inside major urban centers. Uh, Paris, Marseille, Lyon, uh, all of these cities have large Muslim immigrant populations. They don't live under the best uh, conditions. They typically live in ghettos. Uh, they want their demands. You asked about that. They want uh, uh, better conditions, better jobs, uh, better uh, welfare programs better health care. They feel like they're just given the crumbs that fall off of the table uh, for the rest of society. So they don't want to blend in. They don't want to assimilate, but yet they do want, you know, the better parts of society um, offered to them. And so now they're getting violent. And what's interesting is France has very strict gun control laws. You're not allowed to uh, own an AK-47 in France, like you can here in the United States. And yet we see some of these Muslims walking around the cities with AK-47s. Where are they getting those from? That goes back to your question about who's funding this. Is it some international uh, syndicate uh, affiliated perhaps with these globalist elites? I don't know, but they're getting funding from somewhere because they're also able to skirt around laws and get equipped with some uh, military-grade rifles. So, yes, it, it, it's, it very much bears watching. The military, like I said, is getting antsy, and they have warned the president, Mr. Macron, that uh, he better deal with this 
with his with the police and and, and crack down on these people or they're going to deal with it themselves. And how much is Macron involved with the world, um, you know, with WEF and uh, Klaus Schwab? And Oh, he's he's a complete stooge of Klaus Schwab and the World Economic Forum. He's a graduate of the Young Global Leaders Program. Um, he has talked about the New World Order. He has talked about uh, the need to follow the green economy and the green agenda that's being pushed by this uh, reset, this digital economy. He, he, he's been he's been pushing digital vaccine passports during covid. Um, so, yeah, he's 100 percent on board with uh, what I call the beast system uh, and the digitization of humanity, the, the, the digital slavery of humanity, uh, in my opinion. But he could very well think that the this uprising is to his own advantage. He could. The he's, destruction he's, he's before very, the, the recreation. Like, like, like President, like uh, Prime Minister Trudeau in Canada and Joe Biden in the U.S. and many of these other Western countries, Macron has a very low approval rating, and yet he continues to get elected. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I feel like, uh, you know, it's not accidental. They say in, in politics, there are no yeah. accidents. Yes, that these WEF puppets are in charge of every major Western country outside of possibly Italy right now. Leo, you're doing a wonderful job. Folks, we're listening to Leo Holman, H-O-H-M-A-N-N. And uh, his website, I believe, is leoholman.com. That correct, sir? It is. Leo Homan. Homan is spelled H-O-H-M-A-N-N. Got it. And uh, folks, we will be back uh, in a sh after a short break. And this is turning out to be as informative as we had hoped for. We will continue with our theme, What Are the Great Dangers Ahead of Us? World-class care from doctors you can trust, all from the comfort of your home. That is One Wellness. Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company launched the One Wellness membership to provide free monthly supplements and unlimited telemedicine access with doctors that share your values. The Wellness Company's chief medical board designed every supplement and medical protocol with your health in mind. From groundbreaking supplements like the Spike Support Formula to unique care like Freedom from Big Pharma. Join a healthcare system that puts your health and well-being above the interest of Big Pharma's bottom line. It's the way healthcare should be, with a company that shares your values. Go to outloudcare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first month of One Wellness. Trouble concentrating or recalling information is frustrating, embarrassing, and kills productivity. Nutrition company Healthy Cell created Focus and Recall to boost your brain power. And unlike other supplements that don't work, Focus and Recall is not a pill. It's a gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed ingredients to help you immediately sharpen focus and strengthen recall. Go to HealthyCell.com and use limited time code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Risk-free. Love it or your money back. Guaranteed. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD. Out loud. And we're back. This is Ginger Bregan with Dr. Peter Bregan and with our terrific guest, Leo Homan. 
Leo, thanks so much for being with us today. You were talking Thank about you. yeah. You were talking about the uprisings in Europe, and I had a question in regards to a comment you made about uh, the UK, where you were talking about how there are portions of London, and I guess this is true in some of the other countries too, that are no-go zones because they've become so densely populated in the case of Europe by um, Muslim in immigrants that the uh, native police, if you will, aren't even able to go into those neighborhoods. And they've become like mini cities based on Sharia law rather than based on the law of the nation that they are within. And what occurred to me is this is this is really like a pincer movement that's happening in Europe where you've got bottom up these uh, formulated mini cities or mini pockets within larger urban areas. And then you've got the WEF with the top down. Can you comment about that? That is actually a very accurate uh, way to look at it, Ginger. Um the uh, book by Patrick Wood, Technocracy Rising, the Trojan Horse of Global Transformation, actually starts off with a quote from a gentleman uh, who was in the CFR. I don't remember his name offhand. That's the Council uh, of Foreign Relations, folks. Yeah, Council on Foreign Relations. And he predicted in an article in, it was like Newsweek or Time magazine, Back in the uh, 1970s or 80s, it was quite some time ago, that the New World Order would come in uh, not uh, with a with a bang, but with a just sort of slow buzzing, gradual uh, movement and changes in the laws and the culture. And um, People expect, uh, w you know, when you talk about a, a revolution or a drastic change in society, they always think that it's going to be uh, violent, uh, bloody um, and sudden. Well, the very end of it could be like that, but it takes years to get to that point. And uh, he said it would come in like the death through a million cuts. OK, slow, gradual, not loud and flashy where everybody is noticing it and that it would be not from the top down, but from the bottom up. Uh, there will be top down pressure, but it'll also be bottom up pressure. Like you said, a pincer type movement. That's what immediately flashed into mind, my mind when you describe that as a pincer movement, because it is both from the top down and the bottom up. Uh, we see it every day with our school boards, you know, putting in this reckless, reckless uh, policies where children can basically be subjected to pornography in the classroom and in the school libraries. And, um, you know, but the system is so taken over by evildoers that if you are a parent and complain about it, you're the bad person. OK, you're the hater. You're the one who deserves to be silenced. Uh, and so. You don't get to that point overnight. It takes decades of infiltrating the power centers uh, all the way from the local school boards and local city councils up to the highest levels 
of state and national government. Thank you. Yes, it's so much to think about. You know, one thing that occurs to me in regards to our own country's history is I'm very, uh, I'm, I'm very briefly aware, I don't have deep understanding of this, but I'm aware that there was an extremely long period in what was then the colonies of America before we became a country. And that perhaps mirrors what we're seeing now in that there were tiny little things that happened again and again before things culminated even to the point where we had the Boston Tea Party and later where shots ended up being fired and we ended up in an actual revolutionary war. And I believe, I don't know the time frame of that tension that occurred before then. And I hadn't thought of it before as kind of a growing, but it was a growing dissatisfaction. Yeah, I don't, uh, I don't have the historical details very well on that myself. I think it may have at least been decades. Well, I'm sure it was decades. Um, Leo, you've got a, um, a very broad vision. I'd be happy to have you think some more. Now, where do you where do you put immigration into the big threats? I I think immigration, open borders, the policies in Europe, and the policy under Joe Biden, uh, that these are um, part of the killer killer strokes or darts or shots at the existence of our constitutional democracy. Have you noticed how our language has changed, though? <clears throat> You're talking about immigration, whereas yeah. what we're if really I could interrupt you for a invasion, minute, I want to. Yeah. If I could back up for just a second, Patrick Wood, I quoted the wrong book. It, it's not Technocracy Rising. It was the book that came out after that by him called Technocracy: The Hard Road to World Order, and that gentleman he quoted in the pr- introduction to his book was Richard Gardner, and he wrote this article in Foreign Affairs magazine, and it was titled The Hard Road to World Order, and he said, uh, in short, this is a quote, in short, the quote, house of world order will have to be built from the bottom up rather than the top down. It will look like a great booming, buzzing confusion but an end run around national sovereignty, eroding it piece by piece, will accomplish much more than the old-fashioned frontal assault. Yeah, so I've, I heard that recently. Well, you've heard yes. it apart from your husband because oh, I did. <laughs> Gee, the uh, that article is, is so important because it's a very early article, nineteen seventy-four, in yep. the official journal of the uh, the council. And it shows that from the start, this uh, what, what was supposed to be sort of a a liberal avant-garde organization was, in fact, from the beginning, a globalist organization, and in fact was uh, being being funded and uh, guided by John D. Rockefeller. One hundred percent. And yep. in 1974, when he wrote that article, Rich Richard Gardner. In Foreign Affairs magazine, he had the full backing of the Trilateral Commission. He was a member of the Trilateral Commission, along with uh, David Rockefeller and Zbigniew Brzezinski. Uh, They founded it. They co-founded it in 1973. It's still going strong. 
uh, Dr. Bregan, after all these years, yeah. trilateral commission, it works hand in glove with organizations like the World Economic Forum, the CFR, uh, Council on Foreign Relations, the Royal Institute of International Affairs in London, England. Uh, this is the cabal. This is the global oligarchy. Uh, they believe in what? They believe in depopulation. Henry Kissinger, who's a member of this cabal, wrote uh, the Kissinger Report in 1974. Are you seeing a pattern here? A lot of this started in the early 70s. Um, and in the Kissinger Report, he called for drastic population reduction starting in the third world, uh, where so that resources could be preserved for the, uh, the Western countries. Uh, a, a fellow named Dennis Meadows, he was with the Club of Rome, another elitist globalist organization, Club of Rome. Dennis Meadows wrote the book Limits to Growth. Uh, that came out, uh, goodness, at least 30 years ago, <laughs> around that same time frame. And uh, it also called for drastic population reduction. And he was recently, he was interviewed as recently as 2017 or 2018, Dennis Meadows, and said that uh, he believes the current population of 8 billion in the world needs to be cut down to 1 or 2 billion. 1 or 2 billion people. Uh, and if we do that, he said, we could still have uh, a, a relative amount of freedom, he said. But he said, if we continue with seven, eight or nine billion people, we will need a dictatorship, a global dictatorship, because with that many people on the earth, he said, it, it'll be too unwieldy. Uh, we'll run out of resources. We're going to have to clamp down on people. So he's like, take your pick, dictatorship or population depop drastic depopulation down to one or two billion people well i don't see mr meadows signing up to be, to be first, first on the list to be uh yeah to <laughs> be first euthanized. person depopulated yeah right why don't we just why doesn't he sign up to be euthanized uh if he's so in favor of depopulation he should set a good example for the rest of us well he's elite and exactly. Yes. He's elite <laughs> in his own mind. And so basically they see the rest of us, us plebiscites, as no different than cattle in a feedlot. Uh, they, they want to reduce our numbers, make us sick, make us dependent on them for everything and uh and and eliminate a good number of us. And those that remain, they would like to see uh, uh, digitized. Um you know, have some sort of a tracking mechanism embedded on our person, on our bodies. Um, they are already calling for this on your cell phone. I did an article uh, last week how they're rolling out digital IDs at the major airports in the United States, Atlanta, yes. Denver, New York. Uh, it's a good article, folks. Go to go to uh, his uh, website, leoholman.com. Yeah, I focus on the Atlanta airport in that article because that's where I live and I've gotten some firsthand accounts and photos of the new digital ID system at the airport. But since that article came out, Dr. Bregan, I've heard reports of people having the same experience at other airports. So I know it's not just Atlanta and uh, they say it's voluntary, but I'm getting reports that if you board an international flight, it is absolutely not voluntary. They are scanning your face 
with facial recognition software, logging it into their database where they store it permanently, and any uh, port of call that you should land in worldwide will have the, will have your face scan in their databank. And so this is the way they're going to track the movement of people. It's starting out with international travel. The plan is to uh, uh, lower the threshold gradually, like they always do. They're masters at incrementalism to where you won't be able to leave your state without uh, showing your digital ID. Maybe eventually you won't be able to leave your city. Uh, that's when we will have what they call 15-minute cities. cities. <laughs> yes. yes, yes. And so you can see where they're going with this. You know, I think the incrementalism that you mentioned is an interesting term because I've always thought of it as the whole concept of nudging applied, which is right. you don't you don't come in with some draconian, humongous order and change. You come in with a tiny little thing that is easier to do than what you were doing before in some way. They make it they make the old way of doing things harder and harder so that you're pushed and nudged towards the new uh the the new procedure whatever that is right for instance it's, it becomes more and more complicated to call your doctor's office and get something uh -huh. done versus using uh what they call the patient portals that are being set right up everywhere around here and of course that's more and more digitalization of your data and more and more people are going to have access to it so it becomes much less of a private exchange of information about you to the physician himself and his personal staff and much more just completely digitalized, computerized data that somehow ends up getting shared on a broader and broader way for the convenience of the patient in case you end up in the ER and they need a little extra data about you. It's always, it's always proposed as being done for the convenience of the individual who's actually being put out and whose freedoms are being compromised. Right. And the reason it seems more convenient is because, like you said, they make the traditional way of doing it more difficult. You exactly. have to stand in a longer and longer line. Uh, the traffic gets worse and worse. And so they want to move you into public transportation or riding a bicycle when they could be managing the, the traffic of the vehicle traffic more efficiently if they really wanted to. Um, so, yeah, they nudge you. That's a good way to explain it. Uh, and you know, there was it, a whole it, book about that, Leo, that came out in the Obama years. I think that mm -hmm. was when the first one came out. And it was my understanding is that it was very hot in the Obama circles and in the administrative circles at that uh, that administration. And we can see the fruits of that thinking everywhere now. Uh, there was, Absolutely. There was, there was tremendous nudging going on all through COVID, too, even though yes. Even though it felt draconian, you know, we were being told, well, no, no, you, this is voluntary. But boy, oh, boy, if you didn't agree to this or that, you were you were suddenly getting a lot of um, feedback, either from your various neighbors and fellow citizens or from whomever was in charge where you were that day, whether it was the security guy at the grocery store or the checkout clerk or uh, the 
front desk at the doctor's office. So there's a lot of nudging going on. And I think it's very important as citizens for us to be aware of that. Well, right. folks, you're, and- you're listening to America Out Loud, Pulse with Peter and Ginger Bregan and with Leo Holman. We started out talking about the dangers, the greatest dangers that are coming up. And it is so interesting the way uh, Leo has taken us um, from on the basis of his of his book, The Stealth Invasion, uh, up through the riots that are going on in Europe and now into uh, the uh, area of the surveillance and digitalization and and uh, chips. Uh, there are so many directions to go in. And in the third part, uh, I think we should kind of look for some other big directions. One of the one of the real assaults on freedom now is the World Health Organization, uh, the attempts to empower it as the dictator of world health, which will make us uh, vulnerable to uh, their subjective uh, assessments of whether or not any country has a uh, health problem that needs to be controlled by the World Health Organization and others. And Leo, whatever, uh, just keep in mind as we go to break, I'm very interested in what you see as the greatest health threats. You're doing a great job today, by the way, in really alerting uh, the American public and the world to uh, a great deal of the threats that are going on. We'll be back after a short break for segment three. AmericaOutloud.com. If you can't find it here, you can't find it anywhere. We are the pulse and voice of everyday American thought, working hard to earn your trust for seven incredible years and counting. America Out Loud Talk Radio, the liberty and justice for all. Whether you're an independent, a Democrat, or a Republican, one thing remains true. Airborne viruses love us equally. You've all heard Malcolm and the great Dr. Peter McCullough talk about the advanced nasal solution, Cofix RX. Cofix is made in the USA and recommended by thousands of doctors and pharmacists nationwide. Spray goodbye to colds and flus with a Cofix Rex nasal solution cleanse. That's C-O-F-I-X-R-X.com. Save 20% by using promo code OUTLOUD at CofixRx.com. We know you love the versatility and portability of the Genesis Fogger, but sometimes you just want to set it and forget it. Well, we heard you. Introducing the UX4 HOCL Atomizer. This stationary unit quietly protects you and is perfect for smaller spaces. With over a quarter million units sold in Japan, it's now available in the United States. Visit genesisfogger.com forward slash out loud to see the UX4 in action and receive a 15% discount on either Fogger with promo code OUTLOUD. With Genesis, you're ready for anything. Welcome back to the third segment of America Out Loud's Pulse with Peter and Ginger Bregan. Um, this is uh, an amazing interview with Leo Holman, author of Stealth Invasion and uh, an amazing journalist. 
and a man with just a very, very broad knowledge base and good, solid values. Leo, it's a pleasure to have you here. Yeah, well, uh, feelings mutual. It's always a pleasure to be on your show, Dr. Breggett. Um, have you any thoughts where you want to go further with your expertise and, and share with the public <laughs> about the growing threats right now, to basically to constitutional democracy and individual freedom, uh, which is an outgrowth of the Judeo-Christian principles that came out of the thinking of the founding um, fathers. They were all men, uh, but they had many of them had very strong wives with, with whom they worked. Um, and these principles are, are, are about the treasuring of the individual. Let me say a few words about that. I mean, you know, if you're made in God's image, you're not um, somebody that just can be depopulated. If you're made in God's image, your, your rights must be respected. They, they don't come from the government. They come from a higher power. You're precious. You're precious. You're precious individually as a unique being created in God's image, not just as one piece of data or as one ant in a swarm. Yes. And um, I think uh, one of the major things they're out to do philosophically is to make us data. Yuval Harari is, uh, uh, who is the, uh, I'd like to say the court jester, but he's not. He's an official philosopher of the World Economic Forum, has said that the new religion is dataism, and that the the wolf's howl has, is no inherent value greater than a Beethoven symphony, except there's more data in the Beethoven symphony. So help me that, that I'm not characterizing him, making a caricature of him. That that is what he is stating. And if all we are is data, and he comes out and says it um, in his books, if all we are is data, then um, we can be culled, we can be rearranged, and we can actually end up, he says, worshipping the flow of data. Well, what do you do with data? You edit it. <laughs> yes. Right. And he's also said that the only value any human being has uh, unless they're one of these elites and have this elite knowledge of how to run the AI systems and whatnot, you know, this computer software coding and whatnot. If you're not one of those people, uh, he says you really have no value other than for your data. Uh, and that is to be mined and exported and marketed to the uh, the greater global system. Um, so that they can then profit off of your decisions. You want uh, product A pro or product B. Uh, we will already know because we've been running algorithms on your social media sites and we know what you prefer to watch online. We know what videos you prefer to watch. We know what products you prefer to buy. We even know how you think. Um, and so this is your data that they're that they covet and they that they they want to collect and aggregate and use against you at the appropriate time should you ever uh, decide to rebel against the system. I have because a question. They, I have a question, yes. Leo, and that is that the concept of mining the data from a human being. I understand directing a human being to consume in one way or another uh, and to. Um, take whatever capital and funds that they have and put them in some sort of directed fashion where it's preferred by the elites that we put our money. 
but um but I don't understand the I don't think I don't think that I'm grasping the deeper meaning of mining data from a human being. Do you have a grasp of that that you could share? Well, it's it's dehumanizing for one to to reduce a human being to that level that that their only value is for their data and and Harari says that human beings uh he doesn't believe that they're created in the image of God. That's right. a fairy tale. He, he doesn't says believe in a, God. Right. He says that that's all fairy tales and that human beings uh, in his mind are kind of like robots, uh, machines. They have no free will and they have no soul. Well, we're, so, we're thought of as, I think, just wet machines instead of dry <laughs> machines. Right. And, and, and they're even working on, you know, the merger of the wet machines with the dry machines. Yeah, uh, yeah, abs- absolutely. And so um, this is where they're going. They call it humanity 2.0, where they consider it to be an upgrade of our of the human species, humanity 2.0. And they, they believe in evolution. And they say that uh, for the first time in history, man will be able to direct his own evolution. Uh, Directed evolution. Where have I yes. heard that before? Yes. <laughs> using technology, using technology, we can now direct our own evolution and steer uh, humanity, the species, the homo sapien. Uh, we can steer it into uh, whatever direction we see fit at the time. And uh, what, you know, it, it's very dystopian. Let's face it. It's very uh Brave New World-ish, you know, the, the book by Aldous Huxley written in 1932. Um, that's how these people think. If you recall in that book, they had artificial wombs, uh, these where they, they brought the babies into the world without any sort of a communion between man and woman. Yeah. Uh, you know, sex is just for pleasure and um, recreational activity it's not at all to be tied towards the to the um you know the reproductive the reproduction of human humans they want to sterilize that and bring it into the laboratories and we've seen that with the japanese scientists just a couple of months ago came out a japanese team of scientists said that they were able to create a uh embryo a mouse i believe it was mice that they were working with and they were able to create an embryo using stem cells from two male mice. So they didn't need a female. Oh my gosh. Right. And they said that within oh five gosh. or ten within five or ten years, they will be able to do the same thing with humans. They'll be able to recreate humans in a test tube in a laboratory using stem cells, and uh, they will not at all need the human. Uh, contact the human reproductive uh, uh, way that God ordained humans to be reproduced, that will no longer be needed. So how long does God allow this to go on is my question. I mean, this is human humans playing God. It's as simple as that. Uh, it's not just that they don't believe in God anymore. I think they do believe in God. When I listen to Harari speak, I get the distinct impression that he does believe that there's a higher power out there of of one sort or another. But you know what? He hates it. He's not just it's not just that uh, today's technocratic globalist elites have fallen away from God. They are at war with God. 
uh, it's a big difference. We've we've passed beyond the uh, the 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 um, you know the stage where people just these elites just don't believe in God anymore. They are Luciferian. They know there is a spiritual war going on out there, and they are on the side of Lucifer. You know that is a concept I find hard as a psychotherapist and a psychiatrist to put myself into where you decide that there is a God, but you are against God. You're going to side with the devil. You're actually accepting the Judeo-Christian framework in which to think, but you're going to be the rebel in it. It is a hard concept for me to accept, and yet it is often how they operate remarkably using symbols of lucifer and so on you see more and more of the symbiology correct uh and look at you know people like saul alinsky who was one of these he was on the intellectual side of this globalist cabal he wrote a book in 1971 there again we're going back to the early 70s it's amazing how much was put forth back then and nobody yeah and that's of course a big influence on uh an Obama big influence on Hillary. Right. I think she wrote her dissertation, which we've her college, her college uh, dissertation, and we've never been allowed to see it. I don't think, but uh, on on Sololinsky, yeah, and right. He, and he wrote this book, Rules for Radicals, in 1971, and he dedicated the entire book to Lucifer. Very very strange ideology to grasp. Why? Why would you pick that side? You got any theory, theories to, to help this uh, psychiatrist and psychotherapist broaden <laughs> his understanding? <laughs> uh, I, I just think it's the, it's the ultimate in rebellion, uh, this hatred, this bitterness against God. I think our, our culture has, um, has uh, encouraged that over the last several decades. Uh, you see it in this, the you know, the perversion in today's society, the mocking of Christianity or conservative Christianity or conservative Judaism, uh, you know, the, the continuous mocking and the in-your-face uh, blasphemy type things. Uh, you may recall this started back in that, remember in the, I think it was the 1980s where they had that blasphemous uh work of so-called art at the national endowment of for the arts called piss christ where the oh god uh, yes i remember that now yeah where the the artist put uh, a crucifix into a jar of his own urine and that was considered art so this has been going on for a long time but it just keeps getting worse you see open satanic rituals now with the satanic temple holding rallies and sponsoring events right out in the open, you know, now, which you didn't see back even in the seventies. Um, it was all, it was all there, but it was kept, you know, in the dark. It was now they're coming out in the open about it. Uh, the satanic rituals, the satanic temple memberships, they're bragging about it. Um, and, uh, you know, all, and the way they're going after the children to me, that's, that's critical because Satan, loves to go after the children. Why? Because that's the next generation, right? Uh, He's not so much interested in us old folks, you know, uh, the over 45, over 50 crowd. He he knows their days are numbered, but he wants those children. He wants to corrupt their minds. And so you see uh, deceived, delusional parents 
people in their 30s, 40s taking their children to see naked men ride around on bicycles, uh, dance around. I mean, right out in the open. If you or me were to go into our town square tomorrow uh, with no clothes on, we would be arrested and charged with indecent exposure. But for some odd reason, if you do that at a gay pride uh, event in a major city like Seattle, it's literally been filmed. You've seen the videos on, on uh, you can see them on, go on Twitter and see men completely unclothed, uh, riding around in bicycles, standing around a fountain, uh, washing off naked, and children are all right around walking around them. Now, that is an attack on children. You combine that with what's going on in the schools uh, where the children are being uh, 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 confused about their own gender, being subjected to pornographic materials. Uh, you, you look at the, uh, the radical abortion laws that have been passed in several states after the uh, Roe v. Wade was struck down. They're now saying, oh, we not only believe in abortion in the first trimester, which Roe v. Wade, Roe v. Wade legalized, we want it all the way from conception up to the day that the child is comes out of the womb. And even after it's out of the womb, you can kill it then if you really want to. So, um, you know, and if, if you consider that child to have some sort of a, a physical defect, we've, we've heard, uh, from governor North, former governor of Virginia, remember governor Northam? Oh yeah. He explained how <clears throat> if a baby is born with a physical defect, he quote, has a conversation. He makes the baby comfortable and then has a, quote, conversation with the mother uh, whether or not to let it live. And so this is nothing but man playing God. Um, it's getting worse. It's getting more intense. Um, we yeah, should not folks, expect yeah, one, one of the things otherwise. about this that I want to emphasize is that when men play God, they become extremely evil. Yes. This is, this is always the case. And you end up with a Hitler, a Stalin, a Mao, uh, Pol Pot. Uh, you end up with somebody who actually murders people outright. And right. I believe that if we keep going in this direction toward the Great Reset, there will be a great slaughter. Now, they've already said, as, as Leo has very eloquently pointed out, that they want less people. Leo, do you, um, we have... Um, three minutes left and um, you see any encouragement right now that we can leave folks with and by the way folks we will be continuing with this theme of the greatest threats we want to let the folks know what the great threats are so i want to keep going with that theme and um leo signs of hope anywhere yeah i mean we haven't even talked about the border which is another threat uh but there are signs of hope um, and I'll tell you what, I went and saw a movie yesterday on July the 4th, Independence Day, that uh, jerked me, jolted me, and disturbed me. But at the same time, I it gave me hope that if enough people go and watch it, I think things are going to start to change. The movie is called Sound of Freedom. And it's about what happens to a lot of these children that are being trafficked across borders worldwide. The United States is the biggest player in this. This uh, You talk about Hitler, Stalin, and Pol Pot. What's going on right now, Dr. Bregan, 
is worse than all of those combined. It's called the uh, trafficking of children for sex. And this movie, Sound of Freedom, is a true story based on the life of Tim Ballard, who worked at Homeland Security and uh, found them to be inept. They would go and arrest pedophiles now and then, but they would never save any of the children. And so with funding from Glenn Beck, he and a couple other people went on their own independently and have saved hundreds of children from these from a life of of slavery, sex slavery. And uh, uh, the United States is the biggest consumer of child porn and the biggest producer of it. And so we've got a a lot of uh, uh, owning up to do in this country about what our culture has become and what it is uh, standing for. It's not always what we think. We need to clean up our act. But I feel like if enough people see this movie, enough men and women are going to wake up and demand change. You know, it's such an example of the tie in with just pure evil and with the intentions of the Great Reset. Yeah. Leo, this has been a tremendous show. Um, we'll be ending up now. Just to quickly tell folks anything you like about getting in touch with you. Uh, yeah, they can uh, reach me through my website. There's a contact form there at leohoman.com. Uh, H-O-H-M-A-N-N, leohoman.com. And then I also have a Substack account, leohoman.substack.com. And I'm also on Rumble. I have uh, I put a lot of my interviews, I do two or three a week, and, and most of them I, also, I place there on my Rumble channel. Thank you, Leo Holman. 